I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, June 3rd, 2014. Coming up, we'll look at cell phone radiation in a conversation with CU Boulder electrical engineer Professor Frank Barnes and wireless radiation watchdog and author Katie Singer. Cell phones are allowed to emit more radiation than microwave ovens are allowed to leak. The difference, of course, is that most people don't put the microwave oven beside their head. Rather than saying something is safe or not safe, my point of view is you say, look, what do we think the relative risk is? How does that compare? We don't live in a risk-free world. Cell phones have become one of the world's most widely used consumer products. After all, they're so convenient. Modern mobile phones let people listen to music or the radio or make a phone call practically anywhere. And you can put them on Do Not Disturb so you don't have to hear any sound waves coming from them at all. But what about waves you cannot hear? The invisible electromagnetic waves that connect your cell phone to wireless world of the cloud. Last month, people with concerns about cell phone radiation came together at the Denver Tattered Cover to hear a book talk by Katie Singer, author of An Electronic Silent Spring. In the audience was an electrical engineer who carried a meter that detects microwave radiation. His name is Chris Farnsworth. He's a KGNU radio listener. After the book talk, Farnsworth offered to bring those invisible waves to life, using his meter to check the radiation from people's mobile phones. He said his goal is to encourage more people to wear headphones with a cell phone so they keep the phone at a distance rather than holding it against an ear right next to the brain. For more, here's the sound of Chris Farnsworth using his microwave meter to measure cell phone radiation at a book talk at Tattered Cover. So you hear those little pulses yeah. sending out little bursts of bites to okay, the local cell tower. Now I'm calling. Right, and now we're way over 1,000 microwatts per meter squared. Okay. My name's Chris. Farnsworth. And you're an electrical engineer? That's correct. And you've got a meter here for checking people's cell phones. That's correct. It's from Gigahertz Solutions, and it identifies from 800 to 2,500 megahertz which is 0.8 to 2.5 gigahertz. And that's most of your microwave frequencies for cell phones. What kind of cell phone do you have? I just have a cheap old phone, about six years old. It's a flip phone. It's not the high-tech ones nowadays. But I'd like to know what the uh, emissions are for this. These phones put out about 5 watts. So when you put them up to your ear, it's like putting your head in the microwave oven, basically. That's why you want to use an earphone. You'll see it drops off very non-linearly as you get away. So when you come this far away, you go, well, what's the difference? There's a huge difference. You're, what, about two feet away now? Yeah. It's gone down, the radiation, by about ten times or more? What it boils down to is when you put it up to your ear, you're putting your head in a microwave oven. Right next to your brain. I mean, there's a thin skin and a little skull, but that's it. That's the only thing separating. It's penetrating right through. What kind of phone do you have? LG. But the kind of phone really doesn't matter because you need a certain amount of wattage to talk to a cell tower. So it doesn't really matter what kind of phone you have. If it talks to a cell tower, you need a certain amount of radiation to to make it over there. So your phone's making a call now? 
Okay. So you just you just went over a thousand. We're being microwaved right now from your phone. Now this is an iPhone. Now it's my understanding that this case that was sold to me to say that it would reduce the amount of radiation coming to my head. That makes no sense because we're talking to the tower, which might be five miles away. So it's not going to reduce it. Otherwise, it wouldn't communicate with the tower very well. It's not what the manufacturers of this case told me it would do. Well, they want to placate your worries because otherwise you might not buy it. You know. So you think all of us should at the very least wear headphones when we use a cell phone? At the, at the very least, yes. Because you understand what I said about it's very important to understand it. If you have a point source, okay, it depends on how far you are from that source as to how, what, the, what the micro watts per meter square you're getting in your body. Now, we're made out of 70% water, so, and we know that water absorbs microwave energy. We know that for a fact. Well, it certainly wiggles and jiggles and heats up because it's water. That's right. That's how microwave ovens work, is that they heat up the water in the food. Yeah, it's the same. Really? These are the same frequencies as microwave oven. Your water molecules in your body don't know the difference, I assure you. Between my iPhone and a microwave. It's, it's the EMF frequency is the issue, regardless of the source. So if you hold the phone away from your body just one foot, 12, 12 inches... You're, you're down where it's Oh, we're looking hurtful. at your meter, and it's down below 0. 0.1 when before it was at over 1,000. Yeah, exactly. It's totally nonlinear. It's not a matter of it's just a little further away, so it doesn't matter. If you hold it three feet away versus right next to your ear, it makes all the difference. And everybody, should, the cell phone company should be telling us that, in my opinion. Because I learned this by being an electrical engineer and studying electrical engineering for 30 years. That's how I learned it. And why the cell phone companies aren't telling people this, I have no idea. And your name again is? It's Chris Farnworth. Chris Farnworth. What's the sound from now? Well, we don't know because we're getting bombarded all around by stuff like this. So I can't, you know. All, all, all I'm telling you is this antenna right here, this is what's coming into this antenna and getting rectified by this unit and displayed. But, yeah, everybody should know about this, in my opinion. So this is an HF35C. Yeah, from Gigahertz Solutions. It's designed for microwave stuff. Why did you bring this meter with you? Well, because I knew this was about the EMF effects. And uh, I I carry this around all the time uh, so that I know when I'm going by Gwen Towers, cell phone towers, and other sources of the radiation. Thanks to electrical engineer and KGNU listener Chris Farnworth for bringing his microwave meter to a recent book talk about electromagnetic radiation. While the FCC, cell phone companies, and many, many researchers consider cell phones completely safe to use how most people do, Farnsworth says his measurements lead him to encourage people to use headphones with their mobile phones. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. One of the most distinguished and beloved professors at CU Boulder has finally retired, sort of. He's Frank Barnes. He's in his 80s. He's sort of retired because while he taught his last class at CU Boulder last month, he's still giving talks around the world. Right now, he's scheduled to speak to scientists in South Africa. As for why he's a sought-after expert, Frank Barnes, 
taught electrical engineering for over 50 years. He established many new areas for research. And related to cell phones, Frank Barnes is the past president of the Bioelectromagnetic Society. He recently chaired a National Research Council panel on research priorities related to the potential health effects of exposure to radiofrequency energy from the use of wireless technology such as cell phones. As a scientist, Frank Barnes recently talked with a citizen activist, Katie Singer, about her new book, An Electronic Silent Spring. Here are parts of that conversation between Frank Barnes and Katie Singer. Well, I've sometimes started a public talk on this, said, look, we've known electricity's been dangerous for a long time. That's why we use the electric chair. That's not good for your health. All right? Now, the numbers count. It's also got to be true that there's a field that's small enough that it's not important. All right? The problem is how do you pick the numbers in between? There are different philosophies about how you do that. In the U.S., it has been that you set the level, you identify what is the lowest level known to cause damage, and then you provide a safety factor below that. On the other hand, in the Soviet Union, they set standards, which were set at the lowest level. They thought anything possible could happen. But the other side of it was they never enforced it. After a few shots of vodka, you'll find out some very interesting stories. I'm Katie Singer. I've just published this book, An Electronic Silent Spring, which explores the health and environmental effects of exposure to magnetic fields and radio frequency fields. Magnetic fields can be emitted by our 60 hertz electrical system, and radio frequency fields are used by wireless technologies. My understanding is that the frequencies and amplitudes used to power wireless technologies, for the most part, they cannot be found in nature. No, you find you find all of the electromagnetic spectra down, but at, at the levels can be extraordinarily low. Not at the amplitudes that we're using. Yeah, there's a reasonable graph that will show you what the amplitudes are as a function of frequency, as you see from lightning strikes, cosmic radiation, the background of the Earth's magnetic field, and so forth. There are reasonable numbers and data available on what the natural exposure levels are. My conversations tell me we don't have these in nature. Meaning that the amplitude, the power of what the frequencies are, is not a normal ongoing thing in nature the way that it is in a man-made environment. I agree. The strengths are different. And the fact is we couldn't use it for communications if they weren't. And then I think the other thing that you're bringing in is what happens when we are chronically exposed to these man-made frequencies and amplitudes. What happens when you're exposed in utero? What happens when you're exposed as an infant? What happens when you're exposed from multiple frequencies at the same time? There's data on some of this sort of thing, and there is certainly it's incomplete. But I know some very careful studies because you don't want to, you, one, you can't do it to humans for, in terms of large controlled studies. But there have been expensive studies on mice and rats that have run for two or three years for a lifetime, so forth. And, you know, you can cite examples for that. The one study I'm thinking of, for example, showed 
yes, it didn't show any increase in cancer. In fact, it is, but they didn't mention it. it showed a decrease. There are a lot of studies that have been done, but that doesn't say they've covered the, all of the stuff you want to cover. Frank Barnes, it's my understanding that when there's a decrease in cancer caused by electromagnetic radiation, that still counts as an effect. And the yeah. fact that it's not known what caused that effect is disquieting. It says that there's potential for this to be beneficial, perhaps, but there's also a lot of potential for it to do unexpected consequences. I gave you the example of the electric chair. That's not good for your health, right? But I, I can give you examples of over a million cases have been treated with pulse magnetic field for bone healing in non-union bones. That's about 80% effective in fixing cases. Spectacular case I know of, for example, is a broken bone that hadn't healed for five years, and three months later it was stronger than original. So it goes both ways. Katie Singer. And I haven't read this study, but I know it exists that people who had that kind of electromagnetic bone healing later on have a much greater increased uh, risk for ALS. So again, we want to know the long-term consequences. Like a lot of football players would get that bone healing technique because they would get a lot of fractures and such. I haven't seen that one. Of course, with football players, your biggest worry these days of days are concussions. That's the biggest problem. And a colleague of mine pointed that out, what, 10, 15 years ago, and was not able to get either the players' union or the owners to take a look at it until just recently. I guess my point is that electronics and wireless technologies can do very cool things immediately. And then the question is, how do they affect us long term? The answer is, I don't think we really know. But, for example, we've been exposed to radio TV towers for, what, since I've been around. And that's a spell. So far as I know, there hasn't been a lot of worries about some of that. Now, that doesn't say they haven't done anything, but it's just basically we've got substantial exposure over a significant period of time. Definitely, I can point out a bunch of studies that say they've got really dangerous effects, and I can point out a bunch of studies that say we didn't see a thing. One of my IQ test questions is which is greater? the amount of radiation that the FDA allows a microwave oven to leak or the amount of radiation emitted by a cell phone? I know the number for what it used to be, at least for microwave ovens, and I know an SAR number and I know a far-field number for cell phones. The far-field number is in the same ballpark. I think it's one's 10 milliamps per square centimeter and the other is 5 milliamps per square centimeter at a distance of one inch, if I remember right, for the microwave ovens. So they're within a factor of two of each other, but they're set on different bases. Basically, cell phones are allowed to emit more radiation than microwave ovens are allowed to leak. The difference, of course, is that most people don't put the microwave oven beside their head. Frank, did you get a chance to look at Katie Singer's book, An Electronic Silent Spring? I managed to read about the first 30 or 40 pages of it. It was all I had time to do because I've been grading term papers and grading tests this week. You really hit me at a time when it's harder to find extra time to read anything. Can you share your impressions of what you read? Well, my first reaction is, is sympathy with respect to losing a son because I lost a daughter here a couple of years ago, so I know a little bit about that kind of problem. There were some things in there I hadn't seen, but 
it doesn't tackle the part of the problem that I'm most interested in trying to solve with the work I'm doing, which is how do you go from the physics to the chemistry, from the chemistry to the biology, and from the biology to a health effect. There are feedback loops and repair processes all along the line. And where I have some background to do a little bit is on how do you go from the physics to the chemistry, and less so on how you go from the chemistry to the biology, and even less so on how you go from the biology to the health effects. I know a little bit about some of those, but not much. I want to ask some more pointed questions about the first 40 pages that you've read on Electronic Silent Spring. A layperson reading the very sad story about a mom whose son died where a surgeon had told the mom that it was a cell phone that caused the cancer. That's a pretty memorable story. As a scientist, how do you look at that kind of story from the point of view of data? I don't trust the doctors when it comes to say cause and effect on some of this because of the ones that I know, very few of them know any physics. Now, some of them do, and there are some that I absolutely agree with. But I take that cause and effect statement on that with a substantial bit of caution. And the reason is that I've been in this game since 1975. I've seen doctors make some statements that were flat false. Now, there are other ones that are doing absolutely correct. So I'd want to know more. You'd want to know who the doctor was who said that and how much experience they had. I'd want to know a lot about their background and what line they've got for cause and effect. Now, the fact that somebody's heavily used the cell phone and comes down with a brain cancer, yes, that's interesting. But that's not complete enough for me for cause and effect. There are a lot of other things going on that I know I don't understand. I know I don't understand how you go through the cause and effect on electromagnetic fields detail. I can't tell you what the steps are that goes from a certain number of milliwatts radiated for a certain period of time with a certain pulse shape all the way through to say this is this caused the change in this growth of this cancer or initiated. I just don't know all those steps, and I don't know anybody that does. Katie Singer, Frank Barnes is saying he's respectful and sympathetic to this mom and the story that she tells, but he's not confident that the doctor giving that opinion is an opinion that he would trust himself. What do you think about that? You're suggesting I shouldn't have included that part of the story. No, or maybe, no go I'm ahead. not saying you shouldn't include it. I'm just saying I take that as a data point by itself, but I don't take the statement that cause and effect has been shown to be so, complete. I never claimed cause and effect. I'm just quoting the doctor. Or you're okay. quoting the... I'm quoting the mother who, who's quoting the doctor. But here's where, here's where I'm coming from on relaying this story. Telecom companies in this country will not turn over their subscribers' usage data to epidemiologists. That means we've got mothers who are, like this woman, Ginger Farver, becoming their own researchers because... We don't have anyone else doing it. And so she has to do it, and she really wants to alert other mothers everywhere that these cell phones may cause many problems, including brain cancer. And I really admire her for her research. I admire her for her courage in sharing this story with other people. I don't have any problem with that at all. But I, as I say, I've looked at enough of these things in various cases most of the people are not lying. Most of them are telling the truth as they see it. 
you want to limit how far you extend from beyond that in term at least the way I look at these things and saying yeah okay that's that's true people that are electrosensitive clearly have problems I'm not sure in many cases it's cause and effect some of the cases I've looked at are pretty likely psychosomatic but that doesn't say people don't have real problems they definitely do I've looked at quite a bit of this I just feel I have to be cautious in how far I take that beyond saying, yeah, this is what people have seen. The Telecommunications Act of 1996, Section 704, states that no health or environmental concern can interfere with the placement of telecom equipment. That basically makes it very challenging for people who are concerned about their health. It's basically impossible for someone who is concerned about their health to protect themselves and their community if somebody wants to put antennas on their their apartment rooftop or their building rooftop, their office or school rooftop. Our laws certainly concern me. We don't really have an opening for people who are concerned about their health in this situation. That's a difficult issue. Basically, I think that's probably too strong a law. I think there are concerns, and there's certainly reasons for people to be concerned. On the other hand, how you balance that out with the other things that you need to do. For example, we simply wouldn't have cell phones or radio or TV if we didn't have some standards that you could work to because you couldn't develop it different for every single spot. But to go the other hand, I think also, and I put in a comment to the FCC wants to change that again, indicating some caution. But going back to what I said before is I expect that the numbers are going to go down over time. We're going to see more things as we understand stuff better. That The numbers of what? The numbers, meaning the levels at which you see effects, are going to go down over time. Meaning that over time there'll be a greater awareness that electromagnetic radiation can cause effects that are measurable and predictable at lower levels, and so that that means that the FCC and other regulatory agencies might say, let's pull down what we've considered to be the safe threshold. I would not say safe. I would say you've got to look at the risk that you've got. You would say that there are higher risks at lower levels than one knew about earlier. For example, my students and I discovered that when we canceled out the Earth's magnetic field, took it from 45 microtesla to zero, we saw it inhibition in the growth. Ten years ago, I wouldn't have said that because I didn't know it. Those fields are very weak. And when you say inhibition in the growth, you mean of any cell or of cancer cells? We saw it in two kinds of cancer cells and not in a third. That's an effect I would not have expected ten years ago. Frank, if I can interject something here just to get some examples of where you all might have a meeting of the minds and where you might not. There are pacifiers now for babies that are wireless, meaning that they're transmitting a wireless signal as the baby is sucking on the pacifier. Would you recommend this device for parents, given what we know about electromagnetic radiation? Well, I don't know what the advantage is, but in terms of things I know, I don't see any good reason to do it. I wouldn't recommend it to start with, but I haven't heard what people think they're really getting from it either. Well, let's pretend that somebody thinks this might be a useful application and device From a safety standpoint, from what we don't know about developing brains and developing bodies, is this an area where your sense of reasonable caution would say, well, gee, I I think this one you might want to think twice about? 
Yeah, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to my grandsons. I know enough about the possibility of things happening. I'd say unless you've got an awfully good reason to do so, that's one I wouldn't do. But there are other things in that category, too. Thanks to Katie Singer, author of An Electronic Silent Spring, for her conversation with electrical engineer Frank Barnes. And thanks to Frank Barnes for over 50 years of teaching at CU Boulder, along with best wishes for his upcoming talk in South Africa about electromagnetic radiation. For an extended version of this interview, check our website, howonearthradio.org. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Kishibashi. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes and extended interviews. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender.